What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. First of all, just disclaimer, yet another episode where my voice sounds like crap. This time it was not allergies, it was not the vid, something else, but uh, recovering here a little bit. Ronan, you look fine. You look well. Fresh haircut, man. You're looking good. How are you doing today? I'm doing doing real good. I'm, uh, I like, of course, I got my fresh haircuts, you know, I'm, fe- I'm feeling fresh. I'm ready. Looking good for looking good for our fans and ready to ready to talk some playoff basketball. Got two games in, and man, this has to be. Maybe we say this every year in the playoffs, but yeah, this has been some of the best basketball I've seen in a while. Just so exciting for all these teams. A lot of statement games, a lot of newcomers, a lot of unexpected wins. Just so much to discuss here, and uh, I, I think you know where I might want to start. <laughs> I think there's only one place to start on this on this episode. I think we got to start with the Bucks and the Bulls. The Chicago Bulls. If you don't know this. There's a lot of stars who have a bit of a streak up on the Bulls, but Giannis in particular. I mean, Giannis used to be little brother to the Bulls back in the D-Rose days. But, hey, he's coming to his own. He's become a defensive player of the year, two-time MVP, world champion, list all his accolades. He's been amazing. And he's on a 14-win streak against the Bulls, broken today on a one-to-one series now against the Bucks. And, man, I cannot – I can't begin to describe, like – how shocked I am, number one, at the results. Now, th- those Bulls players do not look shocked. That, that's that's the excellent point, man. Um, I mean, you 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 gotta you gotta control me here because I'll I'll just go off the defense. But man, it's just so exciting to see a positive result from a series that I think everyone looked at and assumed, all right, this is it's a wash. What what moral victories can we predict here? Because that's how I saw it. That's how I saw it. What what moral victory can I get here? But we got a legit victory, and with some things brewing, you know, there is hope. Yeah, there's got to be got to be huge hope now. I think, obviously, you didn't uh, you didn't agree, but I thought they they let the books off the hook a little bit in that first game. I think they they definitely could have uh, could have kicked on. The books did not play well in that opening game, but their just overall class and experience got got them through in the end to win ninety three eighty six. And of course, DeRozan goes six twenty five, Levine Oof, yeah. six and nineteen. And what did DeRozan say after that game? There ain't no way I'm gonna shoot six of twenty-five again, and uh, I think you, I think he was right because he came out and he absolutely balled. I mean, an unbelievable performance: forty-one points, seven boards, four assists, a steal, a couple of blocks, those sixteen to thirty-one, and made Giannis look like a bang average defender. It was, it was unbelievable. That that was a beautiful thing, um, and uh, I'll touch on that real quick just because that that's an important part of this. Giannis is, I mean, he's, he's a defensive player of the year caliber player every single year. And we know this, so we don't have to talk about his defense, but DeRozan went at him. He went at him, pulling up from three, pulling up from it. Like he got to a spot and he didn't care. He did not. And usually he does that against anybody in the NBA. And it's, it's shocking no matter who it is because defenders can be in his grill. They can be in his space, but as long as he gets his feet planted and he elevates and he gets to a shot, like he's, feels confident taking it, but to do it over Giannis and to seek it and to seek it and to shoot like that over and over and over. He just continually did it in that third quarter. And I mean, credit to the bucks for, for continuing to fight credit to the bulls for, it was such a, a dog match throughout that entire game. But I mean, DeRozan just took it to him, but I, I do want to go back to that first game because I, I, I see it. I see it this way, you know, 
in game one at home to see the Bucks play as poorly as they did, it felt like a gift. So to let that gift slip away and not win, for sure. I mean, that hurt. That definitely hurt. But when you look at it from the bigger picture, the difficult thing about this series was how are you going to defend Giannis? How are you going to deal with Giannis? Like that, but there's no way. And it was really comforting to see how much pressure that the defense could muster up against him. I mean, just walling off the paint, sending help, knowing how to rotate quickly. I mean, Caru- <laughs> man, Caruso, Caruso is just a godsend. I mean, the way he's commu- he's he's coaching on the floor, telling people where to go, blocking Giannis, getting charges on Giannis. Like Giannis had five fouls near the end of the game. You don't see that very often. I mean, Giannis defends well, plays well physically without fouling. And that that's a tremendous feat in this day and age of basketball. And he doesn't do that very often. And Caruso, Pat Williams, even Vucevic, I mean, they all did a great job defensively against him. So I think game one, I did take away as like a moral victory because, you know, the Bulls aren't going to shoot that bad. I mean, that's shooting luck. They got and they got all the looks that they wanted to get. They were able to create mismatches. They were able to collapse the defense. They were able to get it to the open guy. It was just, man, it was just a really tough night shooting. 19% from three. I mean, the Bulls have been one of the most efficient three-point shooting teams in the league, albeit on lower volume. And that'll be something to, to fix in the big picture. But I, I think I walked away from that thinking, okay, we have a chance to make this a solid series. And I was right. I mean, the, the, the defense held up in game two. And I thought that was, you know, I was holding my breath waiting for Giannis to wake up. And I think a lot of people were for Giannis to just come in in game two, which, you know, he did. He definitely did. The way he was slinging the ball, he continuously tried to get his teammates involved. And, but he wasn't able to be as dominant as he usually is. And it's, it's not because he's not, you know, not looking healthy or not getting, you know, just, just being off. But the Bulls have done a fantastic job anticipating his drives and really sending help at the exact right time. Yeah, yeah, no, it's been it's been very very impressive to watch because obviously, like you said, there's no there's no direct matchup uh, for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Maybe even in the entire NBA, let alone on the Bulls, but the way that they're they're working it is is really impressive, and it's it's going to be cool to see if they can they can continue on that trend because they're they're heading back to Chicago now for two games. They're heading back to one of the best fan bases in the league, and that place is going to be hyped for some playoff basketball. If they can eat up the atmosphere from that crowd, it could it could get it could get to a more favorable position for Chicago. They could be ready for the upset, and especially not that Chris Middleton was maybe playing his best basketball, but there's a good chance that he could be gone for the rest of this series now. Listen, my friend, you, you do too much work as the primary producer of this show, so I won't ask you to go out of your way to do this. But man, I, I want people to go and listen if you can find the clips of MVP chance in the uh, Pfizer forum. Not for Giannis, for DeMar DeRozan and booze every time Grayson Allen touched the ball. Like they were, they were in Madison. They, they were in the Madison Madhouse in Pfizer. So wait till you get to Chicago. Chicago has not tasted playoff, real playoff basketball in a hot minute. I mean, that, that city is ready to explode. And it, man, can you imagine that crowd? Can you imagine that crowd with a 41-point performance from DeRozan? Can you, like, imagine the intensity? Like, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. I'm going to love the energy, and the players are going to love the energy. I think that the Bulls need to feed off of it. And Levine, particularly, he really feeds off the crowd. He, he, he's one of those guys that feeds off the crowd. Um, but 
I think that, you know, the Bucks are battle tested. So this is one, this is one of those series where I do think that the home court advantage is going to matter a little bit less because, you know, Giannis has already dealt with people counting to 10 <laughs> with him on the line. Do you remember that last year? Oh, yeah. People, people of, uh, on this team, the players on the team are used to it. They know how to deal with it. But um, yeah, just, just on, on the court, um, just want to talk real quick about, about the Bucks. And it, it feels defensively like they've they've softened up. They, they've allowed a lot of easy looks for the Bulls in very surprising ways. You know, it's allowing perimeter players uh, to run open off screens, allowing some easy uh, looks for Vooch, which, you know, maybe, maybe that's our game plan. But Vooch has really made them pay in the pick and pop. So I, I think the Bulls have really opened up the series by starting out with Vooch shooting so well and them being able to attack the rim so easily. And now you're out Bobby Portis. Now you're out Chris Middleton. It's going to be tough for them to, to bounce back, but you know, it's a challenge meant for an MVP caliber player like Giannis. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you could make the argument. Maybe there's, there's a little bit of a bit of slack play from, from Milwaukee, maybe thinking that the bulls, they had a difficult end to Mm. the season. Maybe they thought it'd be, they wouldn't. They wouldn't put it up to them like they have, and they've got. They got their wake up call last night. It's mm-hmm. time. It's time yeah. to come and answer. They they should have had that wake up call in game one because game one was not a gimme. Like that was that was yeah. a tough game for them to win. Yeah. And game game two is kind of a rock fight. It was back and forth, back and forth. Both teams trying to weather the storm. So I, I love what Alex Caruso said in the locker room after the game. You know, after Billy Donovan gave his speech, you know, told everyone to calm down. It's it's not to the next game one one, and Caruso said, you know, we gotta. You got to be ready for the Bucks have an edge because they're the losing team. They just lost the game. They're going to be coming out hungry. So I, I hope they embrace that mentality. But um, you know, I, I think everyone is going to look at this game, and they're still going to say, you know, it, it's fair to say, hey, it's one game, one-one. The Bucks are the defending champions. It's Giannis. Even without Chris Middleton, you still have weapons on this team. If they win this, though, and Middleton's still out for. I think up to three weeks. I mean, MCL sprains are, are no joke and they have to go up against the Celtics or the Nets. That's going to be tough. I mean, what, what's the viability for the Bucks moving forward without Middleton? Giannis, Giannis and more Giannis. <laughs> <coughs> I think that, that's kind of, that's kind of it. I think this is where, where we really see the evolution of uh, of Drew Holiday's game as well. Yeah, We've yeah. all been watching him grow as an offensive threat this season. And now without Chris Middleton, he has to even take that up to an even higher level to, to what he has done. So there's going to be pressure on him. And then whoever comes in, uh, whoever that might be, the likes of, of Connaughton, they've got a few different options that could possibly come in as a starter there. And they're going to have to play big important minutes and be able to knock down buckets yeah i, I think it's going to be big on for, for the bucks you know grayson allen can't go one of four from the fields oh two from three he needs he needs to be their shooter he needs to be able to catch and shoot pat Connaughton, my god he's just been on such a cold streak he can't go one of six from three Sergi baka he's going to play have to play a little bit more minutes we'll see if bobby portis is out for an extended period of time but he's got to play with some intensity here. I mean, he's really falling off a cliff in terms of his physical ability, but he's got to do it. Wes Matthews has played well, but you said it, Drew Holiday. He's got to step it up. Last in game two, he went six of 16, 15 points in 38 minutes. He's got to get it done. So this is going to be an exciting series. 
two, two games at home, Madison Square Garden. It's going to be crazy. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for the series, man. It's, it's good to see this turning into a legitimate series as opposed to what would have been a moral victory of maybe a, a sweep. So, you're playing, so you're, playing, you're playing in New York now, yeah? Did, you say that? did I say Madison Square Garden? You did. Oh, <laughs> Madhouse on Madison. Madhouse on Madison. That, that always gets you messed up. That always gets you messed up. But um, let, let's move on to, speaking of New York, let's move on to the one New York team that is in the playoffs. Nets and the Celtics. What a game two. Celtics emerge from their homestand. 2-0, but not without shedding some blood tough two game series but they've really made a statement what would you would you see in game two it, it was just it was just unbelievable the the defense that they they showed the the switch ability the 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 way that they frustrated the nets every time it looked like brooklyn was gonna just totally run away with it that first half there were so many moments where it just looked like Brooklyn were going to take off and get an easy road win. But the defense, the switching, everything, everyone contributes. And it's just, it's really, really impressive to watch. And what they did to Kevin Durant. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen ever. That is one of the worst games we've ever seen Kevin Durant have. I know he's still at 27 points, but watching it, you were literally just like, he scored when the Celtics said it was okay. That, that was that was literally the way that it went. And for Kevin Durant to go 0 of 10 in the second half, that is absolutely appalling. And I know everyone's going to say it, but there's other players where if, if that happened, they would be getting crucified. <laughs> I know. I know. But it's not what? happening to him. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's ever going to happen again. And I think the craziest thing I saw the whole night was the fact that he missed two two, two free throws uh, yeah. in a row. I was only thinking to myself, I haven't seen him miss a free throw all season. Whenever I watched him, and then he went to me- went went and got went uh, went back to back. But uh, no, it was it was disappointing. He let he let his frustrations get the better of him, and he he let the the Boston defense dictate how he played his game. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny because uh, you know physically. They're really getting into him, and it's leading to him getting to the line. He's getting to the line a million times. Mm-hmm. And you'd think that, you know, that gets a shooter going. You don't want to be giving up too many fouls, easy buckets. But I feel like the Celtics have really resolved, like, okay, as long as we get him uncomfortable, that's, that's our goal. If he gets to the line, fine, we'll sacrifice that. So they've, they've really made a point to get in his grill. And the, in, the fir- in the first half, though, you know, he, he still was making shots under pressure. And they, they've really just – just highlighted how ridiculous of a scorer he is for the best defense in basketball right now to be putting everything on him and it'll still hit shots. Like there, there's this one shot where he's driving down the lane without the ball on the left side. He catches it, the pass behind him, puts the ball on the floor and he's already double teamed. The second he puts the ball on the floor after catching him on him, he's already double teamed. So he has to take a leaner going all the way to the baseline and he just kisses it off the back. But like, it was just the easiest shot for him. It was, I was like, all right, get ready for the Nets to pull away. Like, the Nets already had momentum. Got to give a shout-out to, to Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown had a tremendous yeah. game. Absolutely tremendous game. And Drummond really attacking the boards, attacking Tice. But Celtics defense just held tight, held tight, held tight. And they just constantly making Durant uncomfortable. And you mentioned this being his worst game ever. That might, that might literally be true. He's never missed 
10 shots, 10 shots in a, in a half. That has never happened in his entire career, going 0 for 10. And also, this is a little bit foreboding, either for the Nets or for the Celtics, whatever you're asking. A Durant team has never lost, according to the Athletic, the Durant, the Durant team has never lost the first three games of a series, ever. Durant's only had two instances in his postseason career where he's had three straight games of under 40% shooting from the field. And this is the first time in his postseason career that he's had back-to-back -back games with at least six turnovers. When you talk about, funny, <laughs> whenever I say law of averages, people who actually know math are like, that, that's literally not a thing. But it's basketball, people. It's math, 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 math. math. This is basketball, math. Come on. <laughs> it only matters when I bring up advanced stats. That's when math matters. But you, you got to think of players caliber. Maybe he jumps back. Maybe he gets back into rhythm. But just the way that the Celtics have been playing, I'm not sure. The Celtics have really been committed to making him uncomfortable and allowing other allowing guys like Bruce Brown to, to score over 20 points. But um, I did start to get worried about the Celtics a little bit in, in game two. You, know, you, you saw him get a little bit of isolation ball, not a lot of ball movement, a little bit of lack of focus on the offensive end. And I'm like, okay, is, is this – is the pressure of the playoffs going to break the momentum that they've built up in the regular season? And I feel like this is like one of the most pivotal games for the Celtics to have continued to embrace our identity. And Jalen Brown said in the locker room afterwards, like, we know who we are, just embrace who we are. And I love that because that's what they did. They embraced their defensive identity, got them out running, got the ball swinging, and everything just came from their defense. Came from moments like Grant Williams ending the half in incredible fashion. Defense and shooting, it's great to see it come from um, other players on this team when – Jason Tatum didn't have it going. Jalen Brown, instead of just taking all these jump shots, really took it to the rim, really made the emphasis to put pressure on the Nets defense, and that started to open things up. So to see them figure things out in the game in the same fashion that they've figured things out in the long run, I think it was just really impressive. Yeah, no, I love I, I, I loved it. I think I watching the, the first half, I was just kind of I was I was really disappointed. And Tatum was in a funk and he was just making really bad plays. You obviously the, the shooting touch wasn't there, and then but he was making bad plays on top of that, which was really disappointing to see. Mm -hmm. But then later in the game, he started to find his passes. He ended up with ten assists. He started to make smarter plays, and then when it got to clutch time, he was still the guy. He still stepped up with some really crucial buckets in turning around the de the, the deficit in the fourth quarter, which was which was really good to see, and had such a confidence booster for anyone who wants to have their doubts about Tatum, the the, the most important sign of, of greatness is even when you're struggling and you step up in the big moments. Yeah. And that's that's exactly what he that's went what he and did. did. And Jalen Brown was the same. And like you said, it was it was Grant Williams at the end of the first and it was Peyton Pritchard in the, the third and fourth. He kept he stepped up in some crucial moments with some big buckets. Mm -hmm. And then the likes of uh, like Horford again, he's what a, what a great addition he's been bringing him back. He is really Plus shooting. Really, yeah, that's a really shooting important really for them. And he's, he was making buckets in, 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 uh, in crucial moments just to keep, just to keep them in touch. And it's just that little bit of everything. I mean, smart as well. The like, obviously congratulations to him, defensive player of the year. Great to see the first, first point guard to do it since, uh, since the glove, but way back in 96, it's a uh, Big achievement for him, well deserved, and you and you could see why with the defensive uh, efforts he's been putting in on uh, Kyrie for the most part, who also had a had a dreadful night last night after a big game one. 
Yeah. Uh, I won't give the hot take version of this, but it was awesome seeing uh, Mark DeSmart win the defensive player of the year, seeing perimeter defense really rewarded. Michael, Mikhail Bridges was in the mix there as well. Um, you know, a lot of analysts will say, Gobert should have won it, point blank period. Maybe they're right. But I, I think giving recognition is important as well. Would have been cool too. I mean, if Alex Caruso was healthy all season long, he would have been in that mix too. So to see three perimeter guys in, an, in a defensive player of the year mix would have been would have been really awesome. Uh, Draymond Green too. I mean, if he was healthy, you know, probably that was a wrap for him. We'll talk about him in a bit. His his performance against Jokic, man, it's crazy. But um, for the series here, Boston and Brooklyn. Boston really grits out these two wins. You know, the Nets get to go back home. And what is their home court advantage? Bar- Barclay Center has never been a crazy, crazy environment necessarily to play in. But how are they feeling going into this? Is this is this a worry? You know, Katie's not rattled. Kyrie doesn't seem rattled. But have we changed? do we change our prediction at all? Or honestly, we're not changing our prediction. I, I predicted Celtics soon what I said, six or seven, but things do have to change for them. They have to find a way for Durant to get easier looks for Kyrie to get easier looks. A lot of times their offense is completely predicated upon them getting, getting easy looks by themselves, but the way that the Celtics are just completely loading up on them, it won't work. So <laughs> it's going to come down to the guy that you criticize all year for better or for worse. Steve Nash has to find a way to get them open. So the confidence has to lie in that. And how confident are we in that? Yeah, I think, I mean, if you if you draw up the plays, I think it's only right that you believe that, that guys like KD and, and Kyrie are going to are gonna step up. But the question is, are the plays there? Is, there? is there an answer for this Brooklyn team to overcome this? Elite level Boston defense. Don't get me. This is a this is a seriously elite level uh, defense that this Boston team have and have been for for what five? What are we coming up on five months now since since the turn of the year? Basically, number one defense in the league. So it, it's going to come down. It, it could come down to coaching, but at the same time, we all know that KD and Kyrie they just combined for eight of thirty in the game last night. They no way that's going to happen again. Yeah, it's just a question of can they get the right looks and can they get a bit more from from the teammates just to give to find a way to get them better looks. That's that that's that's what what you just said. That's what's going to be going to be important here. It's 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 a coaching challenge for for Steve Nash, no doubt about it. They'll be probably looking to hopefully they can get something magical out of KD or Kyrie in game three. And then they're going to be like, oh, then we get Ben Simmons back for game four. And all I want to say is, fuck Ben Simmons. I don't think he's oh, Jesus. Have, I don't think he's going to have any sort of impact on this series. Oh, really? One, Are we going to go there? Really? On one, on one side, it's either going to be 3 0 when he's coming back, or the other side of it, the dude's not played in a year. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to be too worried if, if the Celtics see it coming up against him. I don't think they're going to be too worried. Well, I mean, okay, that, that's. I, I have to address that because look, it just comes down to what he's good at, and I. I can't believe I have to keep saying this over and over again. Like he doesn't. If he has to be relied upon for scoring, yeah, that rust is going to be there. But physically, if he's good to go, if if he's been cleared to play, if he's physically fine, 
and he's been resting for a year. The only thing is this back issue that seems like it's getting fixed. All he has to do is rebound. All he has to do is defend. All he has to do is pass. Things that he's done at an elite level his entire career. I have full confidence. All those things will absolutely elevate this team. You're not going to be throwing in Claxton for the amount of minutes that they have to. You're throwing in Ben Simmons. You're not going to have to throw in Andre Drummond there. And that's the thing. Once you throw in Ben Simmons, it's not, okay, where's the disadvantage? Can we attack Drummond on the perimeter? Uh, it's going to be, well, shit, we just got switched on to Ben Simmons. All right, we got to be like that. That will cause problems for this Celtics offense. It absolutely will. And to think it won't is just completely ignoring the body of work that Ben Simmons has put in this league. Like you don't, he doesn't just overnight become a bad defender. Like he is a elite defensive player of the year defender. If you lose 10% of that out of rust, he's still an elite defender. I, I, I don't think he's going to lose a step there. And if he does, I'll eat my words. I think, I'll I eat think my words. Could be the step. I think, I think, don't get me wrong. If, if Ben Simmons was able to have come back even a month after he was traded, I think it'd make a huge difference here. I just think maybe, maybe I'll be wrong. I could just as easily be completely wrong on this, but I just think the Boston Celtics, if they see him coming back, they will look to attack him. Maybe he'll have the answer. Maybe he'll just be that little bit short. This is a high intensity scenario that he's coming back into. Attack and, Ben. And yo, I hope they attack Ben Simmons. Attack, attack Ben Simmons. And you have this is insanity. You would. It, it has, what it, what it world has do we live impact. in that you're saying attack Ben Simmons? Are it you serious? You pass away from Ben Simmons. You pass away from Ben Simmons. Well, yeah, watch that this for long. I think. I think a guy like Tatum or a guy like Jalen Brown will will definitely begin a game and they will try and attack him, see if his footwork is there, see if his speed is there. The size is obviously still going to be there. I think they're going to take the chance. Maybe they'll be – I hope not. After one one go of it, yeah, this ain't going to work. Yeah, I hope not. Maybe, and here's why I hope not, Ronan, because – Because, look, and this is, this, is where, this is where you get away from your game plan. This is where you get away from your game plan because you're not embracing who you are. You're not trying to play a democratic offense and try to get the right shots. You, you're thinking matchup when they start playing matchup. So if they're thinking, oh, Ben Simmons hasn't played for a while, let's let's do a matchup there. You really want to get into a game like that? Look at what happened once they started to try playing matchups in game two without Ben Simmons and they were playing inefficiently. You want to do that against Simmons, who is already going to be an upgrade over Drummond, who's already going to be an upgrade over every single player on this team, save maybe Kevin Durant. He's a, he is a better... This is this is easy math. This is easy math, Ronan. He is a better defensive player right now, even, even if, if you chopped his right hand off right now, than every single player on this team. He's a better defender than every single player on this team, point blank, period. He wouldn't be playing if he wasn't healthy. You don't you don't attack Ben Simmons. You this and that that's what I hope. I, I hope that you know he steps on the floor and they respect that and they and they try and attack that at least on the defensive end, you know, I, I think that's where they can get an advantage, but offensively they do need to be careful of not respecting, you know, what Ben Simmons is. And I, and I think they, they've embraced the humility. I don't think they will, but um, you're crazy. You're crazy. Uh, well, I point <laughs> on it. It's probably not going to matter because there's a good chance it's going to be three nil when he returns, but yeah, it's true. We've talked about this for a while. We better move on. We still got a couple more in the East to talk about. And one one guy down down in Florida, Jimmy Buckets playoff. Jimmy appears to be back in force. The Butler did it. The Butler did it. 
Jimmy Buckets joins Kevin Durant, Jamal Murray, Dominique Wilkins, and Paul Pierce to score 45 points in a playoff game with no turnovers. Zero turnovers. I mean, the, the dude was just on, on fire, on fire. And this has probably been his best performance in years, and it's awesome to see him honestly look healthy. Like, th- there was something about this game, something about his first step, getting to the rim, elevate, like, and honestly, th- this sounds trivial, but dunking, like, late in the game, like, just getting above the rim easily in the fast break. But that's You've seen moments, I think, you know, maybe just banged out throughout the course of the regular season. But... Man, he looked like an absolute superstar that he is. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was unbelievable. And I think, yeah, uh, I don't think Atlanta were ready for it, but I think we all, I, I always had the faith. He always, Jimmy Butler, there's something within him that that makes him just step up in in, in the big moments, and and he's done it in the in the opening two games here. I mean, something that's a bit crazy. Obviously, Jimmy Butler probably had his work was in his worst uh, form of his career in the playoffs last year. In four games, he averaged fourteen and a half points for a total of fifty-eight points. First two games of the playoffs this year, he's averaging thirty-three a game, and he's already mm-hmm. uh, scored sixty-six points. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of it's absolutely it's kind of insane that he was just playing that badly, but. It's great to see him back, and it's great to see him healthy, like you said. He's looking really strong and fit, and he's able to go up and down the court without without any second-guessing on his part or, or, or others watching him. Yeah, and a lot of these buckets are end-of-possession buckets. You know, that the Heat weren't getting anything offensively, and, you know, you got to give credit for the Hawks. Uh, the Hawks have shown fight in the second game. They've not backed down. They got absolutely crushed. Trey Young had his one of his worst games of his, his career. Um, that's probably already been well covered by this point. But Trey played terribly last game. Didn't have you know the the most tremendous game of all time this game either. But they played much better. And Butler saved the Heat. Yeah. I mean, you you look you look at their starters. Lowry and Adebayo combined for 18 points at a 35 percent shooting clip. Well, the rest of the team is not getting it going either. When when Max Struess is essentially your your next best guy outside of Tyler Hero, like you gotta you gotta be looking to Butler to be a superstar, and he absolutely answered the bell. But you know, I think these these things are minus maybe the, the forty five point explosion from Butler. These things are expected from the Heat. We knew they were going to get into the playoffs. We knew they were going to play physical. We knew their defense was going to be top top notch, and that their three point shooters were going to be going crazy. I mean, the Heat are beating the Hawks, who are the best offensive team in basketball to end the season. 32 threes to 22 threes from the, from the Hawks. And they've done a tremendous job really chasing their shooters off the three-point line, really preventing them from, from getting there. So I wonder what, when we look at uh, the Hawks now getting back home, where they've been excellent this season, they've been one of the best home teams all season. Do the Hawks have, have hope, just given their performance, they can look back in this and say, okay, we got to maybe pay a little bit more attention to Jimmy Butler, send some doubles his way here and there. But outside of that, you know, we played better defensively and offensively we, we improved a bit, not giving up too many turnovers. Like do the Hawks maybe have a chance to figure things out at home? I don't think so. I don't think I've seen enough to believe that. I don't think they're playing well enough as an all-around unit 
for me to truly believe that they're going to be able to put together a homestand. I would say that I think Trey Young is good enough when he's playing at his best to probably win at least one game in this series. But you look at their home record, they were 27 and 14. But then you look at Miami's road record, they were 24 and 17. Only Philadelphia, Phoenix, Memphis, and Denver had better road records than the Miami Heat. And we look, I even look at last year, the Hawks run to the conference finals. They were only four and four at home last season. So it's it's not really that fortress, and it's also something that the the heat you can almost thrive on, being the road team and, and being yeah, kind of the slight bad guys, the bad guys. Yeah, exactly. And I think Jimmy Butler will thrive thrive getting all the hate that's coming his way. I, I believe he's yeah. going to keep on thriving. Yeah, I I really love like that these these two characters pitted against each other, Trey Young and Jimmy Butler, because you know they they live in that moment. They live to to compete like that. And, you know, I think that when you, when you look at both these teams, how they're performing, they're both pretty even getting to the line on the boards, pretty even score paint scoring, pretty even, you know, the, the heat are beating the Hawks from three, perhaps some of that is shooting luck. Perhaps some of that is an emphasis. I, I suspect a little bit more emphasis for the heat to be defending the three point line, especially with how prolific Atlanta is from there. So you wonder if one, Nate McMillan can make the proper adjustments to to get his shooters open because in the the spurts where they have and this is the impressive thing about the Heat they've the Hawks have just had you know spurts here and there of really letting their offense rip loose and they're getting shots really making a run then the Heat slow things down take a timeout and they change the defensive set they they're going from man to defense I mean they're they're one of the most amorphous defenses in the league just able to do everything everything and then. They shut things down. So it's just a constant battle. And I, and I think Nate McMillan really needs to prove himself here as a coach offensively to figure that out. But with everything so even, you know, the, the only thing that's really, and when I say only thing, it is a pretty big deal, the, the Heat are just winning in chaos. And you talk about forced turnovers, points off turnovers, and fast break points. In game one, the Heat have 18 forced turnovers, 22 points off those forced turnovers. And albeit only five fast break points. But game two, 19 forced turnovers, 21 points off those turnovers, and 20 points in the fast break. Like they were just thriving, thriving, thriving in that chaos. And the Hawks have done, you know, pretty well at managing the ball. They were first in the league at in turnovers. They were only gave up 12 turnovers a game. And they were, you know, they were middle of the pack in opponents' fast break and pretty much they were 12th and opponents points off those turnovers. So they've done a pretty good job. But in this series, the Heat have really broken out that game. And it just comes down to the Hawks having a little bit more poise, slowing things down a little bit, taking care of the ball. And these are things that they can manage. You know, these are things that they can control. They can control getting their shots from three. They can control the turnovers. You know, the Heat are going to turn things up. They're going to adjust. The Hawks need to, to fight back. And a lot of this, you know, just like Steve Nash, it's going to come on adjustments. It's going to come on what they do differently on the floor. So I'm, I am interested to see what they do in the next few games because I don't think this is done. I think the Hawks have shown that they did fight back in that game too. Obviously, <laughs> Butler did not let them sneak out of, of Miami with a win. But I, I think there's a chance for them to, to continue to fight in the series. 
Okay, and how are you feeling about your 4-3 Hawks uh, prediction after the first two games? <sighs> did I did I say that? Oh, you did said I that. say that? You said that. You said oh, that. I, I'm gonna need you to pull receipts. <laughs> Listen, that might have been like at the end of the pod. I was a little tired. I was I was tired. I was, I was just saying things at that point. You know, I, I said I, I did start off by saying I'm pretty sure I did by saying that the the Hawks the the Heat are obvious obvious favorites here, and I mean the reason is like. There's a formula to beating Trey. Like Trey Young is a star in this league. He's best offensive player in the league to some people. You know, he's he's up there. You know, he's fantastic for the league and in, in points and assists, great. But there's a formula for it. You bully him, and you really force others to become playmakers. You feast in the open court, and this is what happens. So, <laughs> four, 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 three. It's possible. Maybe I'll stick with it. <laughs> Why not? I'll, 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 I'll keep a look. I think uh, I think Miami are going to take two in uh, Atlanta, and it's going to be a quick trip home for Atlanta. And then they got to figure uh, they got to figure it out through the off season how they can be a more consistent team in the regular season uh, next next year. Final contest in the East: 76 in Toronto. The only one we've seen three games out of so far. Philly have taken all three. They're going up against a young, depleted uh, now that now that uh, Barnes and a couple of other guys have been in and out of the team. Uh, Raptors side, but Philly are doing what they have to do. They're taking they're taking their care of business, and this series is all kind of this series was always just about Philly getting the job done. It could have been a potential banana skin, just the way that the Raptors are, the way that they fight. Which uh, what? A banana skin. They cut a banana skin. Up. Dude, I've, I've, that's the first time I've ever heard that. I need to steal that. That, that is fantastic. A banana skin. Yeah. That, that's a little demeaning. I don't know what you're calling, calling the Raptors banana skin here. That's it. There's, there's a banana think skin. That's demeaning. I think, I think it's more than accurate when you look at where they're at compared to where Philly are at or fair. where Philly would like to be at. I think it's pretty fair. But I mean, Starman so far has been Mr. Tyrese Maxey. What I'm seeing out of him has been unbelievably impressive, and he's become the the number two guy on this Philly team in this series. Not not James Harden. Oof! Yeah, he's coming out swinging, coming out swinging. You're not wrong. Absolutely not wrong. Um, let's talk game one real quick, because game two is tough. Because you you got Gary Trent Jr. just absolutely. Dying from whatever illness he's. Yeah, he was a pedestrian in the first two games until he get came to life back home last night. But the first two games he was yeah. a pedestrian. Clear, clearly sick in game two and always use mm-hmm. game one. But um, I think game one has summed up actually a lot of what's happened because I think that's a little bit more indicative given that Scotty Barnes is out there. Because man, you watch Scotty Barnes in game one, you've seen it all season, but to see in the playoffs where every possession matters, that's what it comes down to to a lot of these teams. When you see these young guys play, Across these teams, we'll, we'll talk Pelicans in a second, but across these teams that have rookies playing, young guys who have never played before, to see the execution out of Scotty Barnes on every single possession. I mean, his numbers aren't jumping off the page like crazy, but if you watch, it's insane. I mean, he's always making the right cut. He's always there at the right time. And it's not luck. Like He knows how to, how to track the ball, and he's just making the smart moves all the time, and he's always moving to the right spot. And to see him do that in that contest, 
against 76 it was was fantastic and i thought you know what watching watching that game if he continues to evolve over the course of the series maybe he gives them you know a chance to to win a couple of games here you know but i i thought as a whole though there's just too many guys out there that you know look look a little lost i'm surprised that you know og and ob at times looked a little unfocused defensively out of position and they they didn't communicate switch as well at times chris boucher just looked awful defensively um it was, it's tough to to win these matchups when you got a lot of young guys, Precious Achua, who had a fantastic game three. The first couple of games, you're just out, constantly out of position, you know, taking poor shots, early early threes. And, you know, one day when that comes, that'll be a great shot for him. I think he's got a great stroke. But, you know, there's just too, too much disorganization from little mistakes that really cost him. And, you know, I, th- I think that's continued. And not just that, but from game one to game three, Fred Van Vliet has gotten completely targeted which you know he has a reputation of and a fair reputation of being a good defender very defender but they've really pushed the limits of attacking friend van vliet with the 76er size and that's been tough to see because you know he's one of the more respected guys and him and siakam have definitely struggled they've not provided that star lift that you'd want to see from them and and i i, I don't know if they're going to steal a game here Ronan. It's it's tough to say, but they've especially that last game. I mean, maybe we'll get into to game three, but that that was a, a killer, absolute killer. Like they just had they had to win that game. Had to win oh, that, yeah. game. That, that was that was their chance, I think. I think and the fact that they didn't get it, I think that's gonna be that extra bit of blow. It's gonna be on their minds going into into game four, as well as the fact that just no one once you go down three games, you're basically out anyway. You hope that that's not the attitude Toronto will come out with, and I think they will still continue to fight, but it's going to be really tough for them to to, to steal a game uh, from this position now. I mean, like that first game, like you mentioned, the fact that they held Embiid to 19 points and yet they still lost by 20, that's... <laughs> That's uh, that's that's pretty that's pretty unbelievable. I think obviously Maxi was just uh, like Superman. I mean, thirty eight points. He goes fourteen of twenty one, five of eight from three, and then in game two again, he he didn't he didn't score in the first quarter. He was looking rusty, and people were probably thinking uh, that was just that one off game. He's he's gonna he's gonna go into his shell now, and then he explodes and goes for twenty three nine and eight. Uh, goes eight of eleven from the field, three three of six from three. Then last night he struggled. It's probably the most he struggled in the series. Still, still had nineteen points. The guy is looking good, and he's making buckets in crucial moments. When Embiid can't get to his spot, or Harden is struggling, which has been pretty much the entire entire series so far. <laughs> Maxi is going to work, and he is attacking this Raptors team and making big shots. And it's been. It's been really impressive. The only question is, can he keep it up? The, the, I, the two things, two things, two things. Man, Maxie's been impressive, absolutely. And it sucks that Jordan Poole has, has going, been going off at the same time because Maxie would have been, you know, all over the headlines, got, getting a little bit more attention than he has. But I think he's definitely benefited from the Raptors really going with size. And I think that's one little thing that the Raptors are a bit vulnerable to is, you know, they have a lot of these big wings who are agile. They, they have agile wings. They have these big guys, but 
Tyrese Maxey's first step, I mean, his quickness is, you know, next level. Like he's able to, to get around these guys. He's really able to use his speed to his advantage. And again, surprising that, you know, Fred hasn't been more of a deterrent to that regard, but he's also benefiting from the Raptors having really bad paint defense. So is that going to continue the series? Absolutely. I think he's going to continue it's fortunate. And I think um, his shooting has been awesome too. That's going to be a huge, huge boon for them without Seth Curry. I mean, for him to be able to be getting on a roll here, shooting the ball, is that going to continue against the heat? If the heat make it out of that series? I don't know. That That's going to be a tough one. And, and you know, maybe we just kind of fast forward here. Unfortunately, sorry, Raptors fans. Um, we'll talk Raptors for a second to close this segment because I think you deserve it. But the main point here is how are the 76ers going to progress throughout this playoffs? Because this has been such, such a tough bracket in the East. Can they get through the heat with the way that they're performing? Can Tyrese Maxey continue doing this against a really, really physical heat defense that right now is absolutely obliterating Trey Young? I don't know. Is Harden, who's been absolutely struggling through physical defense all year long? Who knows? Joel Embiid's going to have to take it to another level if that's going to have to happen. But I, I think it's going to be it's going to be tough. The, the moments the moments that they have had um, when they've gotten things going offensively have have been good. But I think there haven't been enough dominating dominating moments in these games against a depleted young Raptors team that have shown me. Yeah, this this team led by Joel Embiid is gonna beat the Miami Heat. I don't see it yet. That's fair. I think that's also an element of the fact that it's Philadelphia that you're having those sort of thoughts. I think uh, just the fact, that the way that they are, I think that's gonna have an impact on the mindset because we've seen with Philly. Philly, they always find a way to mess it up. Just as things are looking like they're going well, they will find a way to screw themselves. Maybe it'll happen again this year. It ain't gonna happen in the first round, that's for sure. They are gonna, they are gonna win this series most likely in Toronto in the in the next game. They're already three up, so they just gotta win one more. I wouldn't be too worried about them in terms of not just completely blitzing a team, uh, this this young Raptors team. I think they'll be confident the place that they're in, especially going up against Miami. Just obviously the Miami defense will be an issue for some of the players on the the 76ers team, but at the same time, they don't have the offensive threat that would make the Philadelphia 76ers sweat maybe if they were going up against a Boston or or a Nets team, I think they'd be a lot more worried rather than a Miami Heat team. The way that way they way that they match up, I think Philly could be could be quietly confident, but that would be a real battle of a series. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, for Toronto, though, I, I think you got to take heart with um, the development of of these guys. These mm-hmm. young guys have. Right? I think they're they're growing up. They have to grow up through these through these uh through these games and you see that i think in this game three they've really really succeeded without fred van vliet and siakam they, they didn't pull out the win but they they almost did it they almost did it and i think that you see precious achua have a fantastic performance there i think he's got a lot of scope as a smaller big man that kind of in a out of bio role but a guy who can confidently really 
really wants to shoot the three. That's going to be absolutely huge for them. And Scotty Barnes, I mean, we only got a flash of him. Hopefully we can get him in, in this game four. But to see his potential there is, is tremendous as well. So I think they, they've got scope to keep improving. You know, Fred and Siakam might not be the main guys, but they have this style about them, this democratic style of offense. And like we said about the Heat, playing in chaos. Because I think they're going to get better efficiency-wise. You know, they force a lot of turnovers. They're not very efficient in getting up and down the court. And that'll come with this experience. But Toronto scored 27 points off 23 Sixers turnovers through four quarters in game three. And that's, I think that's their recipe for success is to follow this heat like model is to switch everything really disrupt what the other team does. And they do a fantastic job, but you see how many times that, you know, that especially with Harden, just look for a switch, look for a switch and they don't get anything good. Cause I mean, all these, all these Raptors defenders are good defenders and you just wait for next year, wait for these guys to develop. And I think this is a team that, you know, they're not going to win this first round series, but they've demonstrated that they have the scope to grow into a very competitive playoff team yeah 100% but they'll be hoping that Nick Nurse sticks around I think he will I think uh, a few people were tipping this series as the lose whichever uh, coach was to lose would be going on to manage uh, no. a coach the Lakers next year but I think uh, if, I, if I'm Nick Nurse I think I think I don't think he'd be that is that is a graveyard of, of exactly. head coaches that's where coaches go to die I think he'd be he'll, he'll want to stay and build on uh on this young core that we've got uh in Toronto but Unfortunately, it's not going to be this year, but yeah, the, the potential is definitely there. There's a lot, lot to believe in for uh, for Raptors fans. Uh, we're just going to take a little break, and then we'll be over to the Western Conference where we have plenty to talk about. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today. As the season heats up, we'd love to connect over social media and carry out the conversation with you, fan. You can find us on Instagram at coast2coast00. Twitter at Coast NBA. Hit our DMs with any topics you want to discuss and join the conversation today. Now, back to the rest of the episode. All right, guys, we're back and we are going to talk about the next matchup here Grizzlies and Timberwolves, who do play tonight. So maybe we need a little prediction here to see what happens. Um, then we'll talk Jazz, Mavs, Suns, Pelicans, and lastly the Warriors, Nuggets, which we'll need to we'll need to come up with a good nickname. So Ronan, you have you have approximately thirty minutes or so to think of a good nickname because no one can seem to come up with a good one for uh for this new massive lineup that they've got. But Grizzlies, Timberwolves, that game too. After a tremendous win in Game One, where Anthony Edwards really came onto the scene and demonstrated his stardom talking to NBA today, saying all these things, but I love every shot I take. Coach may not love every shot I take, but I love every shot I take. And yeah, he seemed to love every shot he took in game two. Didn't work out for him. D'Lo dropped another stinker. And just all the themes of inconsistency, lack of engagement, not being together defensively, read its ugly head again in game two. And they were a completely different team from game one. And the Grizzlies remained that same brand of tough, in-your-face basketball and did what they did. You know, there's not a lot to say about the Grizzlies because they, they're playing the exact way that they've played all season long. And the Timberwolves just crumbled in that, under that pressure for whatever reason in game two. Yeah, I think Chris, Chris Fange has got to be pulling his hair out. I mean, 
Game one, they win it 130 <laughs> to 117. Uh, Cat, Anthony Edwards, and Beasley combine for 88 points. They win the the rebounding battle. Obviously, a big reason for that. Jaron Jackson Jr. was in foul trouble for, for large periods of that game yep. one. They shoot 50% from the field, and they looked really good. They looked confident. And then every good thing they did in game one, they just completely forgot about it in game two. And they just, as good, like, don't get me wrong, Memphis are obviously very good at what they do, but I think... The Timberwolves just look completely dysfunctional. I mean, Memphis blitzed them, and then they have they got seven players getting in double digits. They they only have nine turnovers compared to nineteen for the Timberwolves. And like you said, this series before when we were when we were previewing it, the, the turnover battle is big in this one, and it, and it showed big in uh, in game two, but. I'm I'm excited for it to get back to Minnesota now. I think that is going to be a raucous crowd behind this Minnesota team, and yeah. can can they feed off that, or will that, or will they crumble under the pressure? That's the big question now. Yeah, I I think that you know it's it's about their identity, and you're the best teams lean on it. It's it's figuring out who they are and leaning into that. So defensively, for sure, like they, they need to to stick to that. They need to stay disciplined. And are you going to stop John Morant? No, you're not going to stop him. You got to contain him. And what, what they did defensively last game was fantastic. They were really rotating so crisply and they communicated well in switches and off ball defenders weren't falling asleep. But it's just like little things like that. And it's crazy to me because like for them to go from that team to this team tells me one thing. And I feel like it's just, it's it's getting too high on themselves. Like they, they won this game. They really celebrated. They're like ants going on TV, talking all this trash, whatever. And it's just like a big celebration to win one game right, right off the heels of, you know, like Pat Bev, like going to tears over getting into the game. And I'm not going to be one of those guys who makes fun of them. Cause I thought that was a tremendous moment for the Minnesota fan base, but staying even killed. I mean, the best teams stay even killed. They know who they are. They're going to embrace who they are Go in game in game out and do that. But I think they got a little high. And when the shots weren't falling early on, like nobody had it going. And when nobody has it going, like what are they going to lean on? What is their identity on the offensive end? And they don't have it in Carl Anthony Towns in the post. Okay, you go to what? Anthony Edwards just chucking threes. Like there, there has to be a little bit more focus on what they're going to do. And I think tonight we'll see that. I, th- I think tonight, you know, if Chris Finch is a good coach. He's done all season. I, pr- I predict that they're going to have a little bit more of an organized approach on offense because it just felt like they were swinging the ball side to side, trying to look for an advantage. And the Grizzlies are not going to give you an advantage. You have to take the advantage. You know, the offense isn't just going to come to you. You really have to take it from the Grizzlies. And the way that they did it in game one, how Cat was just barreling down into the paint and really making himself known at times. And then Ant just being totally aggressive from three. But that was predicated off of him really attacking the paint first. And I think Anthony Edwards needs to focus on using his athleticism and using that against the, uh, the Grizzlies defenders. They can't just be relegating himself to a jump shooter because he's a good shooter. But I think that really comes off of him being a dangerous slasher first. So you, you hope that they embrace the things that have made them good throughout the season and amazing in game one and just f- focus. It comes down to focus. And, you know, this is a young team. 
This is their very first time experiencing a playoff series. And maybe this is a chance really for them to grow and to mature. It's not, you know, the plan is one thing, the playoffs is another thing. And the Grizzlies are no joke. They're a team that's going to take it to you night in, night out. And this is their challenge. They got to step up to the challenge and prove that they belong here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they, they should be confident in doing it as well because obviously the Grizzlies had this, had, had, a, had a playoff experience last year, but they're not in a too dissimilar boat. Obviously, you can argue that they're a better team. They obviously were the number two seed in, in the Western Conference, but it's still it's still a young side. And Anthony Edwards, I think in my head, I'm looking at him and I'm thinking this is a guy who's gonna who can be the face of the league in two or three years. He's got to be looking at what Jamarant is doing, the way he's dominating inside and thinking, I can do that too. I don't have to just be taking three-pointers. I don't have to just be taking jump shots. I can get into the paint and put my points on the board that way, get to the line more. He's got to think, I'm going to go toe-to-toe with this guy and we're still going to win. Yeah, and I think he has a mentality. He has yeah. a mentality, and he said, next game, so I, I expect it. So I, this is this is TBD. I, I think they they really they really sucker punch the Grizzlies in game one. Game two, things slowed down a bit. The shooters weren't able to get momentum. And, you know, they, they've got a call to answer. They're now at home. Minnesota fans have been starved of some playoff experience at, at home. So they got to prove it in front of the crowd. Yeah, 100%. Cap, you got you to gotta show it in front, of, in front of your home crowd. You showed it in game one. We got to see it. We got to see a bit more now. So uh, other game that's on tonight, Utah-Dallas. Another, another series that there's a lot, a lot riding on. Luka Doncic is feeling good, but he is not going to play in game three. He is expected back for game four, but thankfully for him, uh, Jalen Brunson and Maxi Kleber oh went to a whole other planet oh in game two and got the win for Dallas in just an unbelievable performance from both of them. I mean, Brunson... 41 points, eight boards, five assists, two steals, goes 15 of 25, six of 10 from three. And Kleber, we were talking about this. He's, uh, he's been in such a slump with his shot. And Terrible. he goes eight of 11 from three. <laughs> it was hilarious because they just kept letting him shoot. They kept letting him shoot over and over. And they were just like expecting him to cool off. And he was just in rhythm all game long. Man, that <laughs> That, that, that was the exact formula that we talked about in our pre uh, preview of this series, that if the Jazz decide to go small and their bigs start catching a rhythm, not, not this kind of rhythm, just like hitting threes, that would really throw the Jazz out of whack. And the Jazz didn't have an answer for it. And it was funny because, you know, Jalen Brunson has was so aggressive getting to the rim. And, man, 41 points. That's just crazy. Like, after – had his kind of shoddy performance last uh, postseason to see him score 40 in a huge game like this without Luca is just this amazing sign of, of growth and opportunity for a player of his caliber and for Kleber to do it too. And the jazz just couldn't figure it out. Gobert was helping too often. We shouldn't have, but in reality, like you can't blame Gobert defensively. Like the perimeter defenses need to show some pride. Mm-hmm. The, the, the jazz are just like Donovan Mitchell particularly needs to be better defensively. Mike Conley should not be getting like just 
absolutely flamed by Jalen. Like Jalen Brunson's a one of the best like interior scorers. But Mike Conley, where where, where did that go? Because like that was your your three and D playmaking guard. Like an emphasis on defense, emphasis on defense. And you know Royce O'Neal, good good defender. You know they they're not playing, and and I wonder if a product of this is that so much of their defense throughout a regular season is easy and they can take a break there a little bit because they're just funneling guys into go bear, just funneling, funneling guys into go bear and just go bear, just eating up every shot at the rim. So it's, it's, it's easy. You just let them go by, then you switch, let them go by, you rotate and jazz do a pretty good job of that throughout the course of the regular season. But when you start to hone in on that in a series like this, and I think, you know, Jason Kidd, fantastic job, amazing job. Just the way that they, he spaced the floor in this team is moving the ball, the way they're rotating on defense, just everything about these two games without Luka Doncic is absolutely credit to Jason Kidd. I, everyone is wrong about everything. Mm-hmm. Completely wrong. And I, I got to apologize every time I talk about Jason Kidd because he's just completely transformed this team. It's fantastic. Who would have ever thought that uh, Luka Doncic – uh, team without Luka Doncic is going to play like this. It was unreal. And man, I mean, how much, how much more is there to say, man? I mean, the, the Mavericks have shown that they're a complete team without Luka, which is a great sign for their longevity and that bad sign for the Jazz and their longevity. Not even just a series, but I think, you know, it's again another year. And this isn't, they have no excuse of like, oh, we played the Clippers, played Kawhi and Paul George, played XYZ star. No, you're playing the, the Dallas Mavericks without Luka Doncic and you guys are getting exposed. Go back. Like, and this is another, another little thing on the floor. You know, everyone's been griping about, Oh, Donovan Mitchell doesn't care about Gobert. He doesn't pass on the ball. No, he's passing on the ball. Well, dude, it's because he can't hold onto the ball. The second he puts the ball on the floor, he loses it. He can't even make a layup after putting the ball on the floor. It, unless he is taking a lob and dug it. And you can see that the, this is, Huge thing, too. We talk about attention to detail in the playoffs. The drop coverage has been very good from the Dallas Mavericks because, you know, they are super undersized. You know, Maxi Kleber, um, Dwight Powell, you know, the, the, <laughs> the uh, Bertans, those guys are not going to be really defending Gobert above the rim. But the way that they've played positional defense in the drop has been fantastic to prevent Gobert from really getting to his spot. And Gobert's just been a non-factor offensively completely. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. He he should have had a, a a stronger impact without a doubt. Just one more th- one thing on the the Mavs. I just say is is Darius Bertans the most useless player in basketball when his shots not dropping. <laughs> it's mean, just the, but I, I, the I think gut punches today. <laughs> I think it could be true because he offers absolutely nothing. He almost he almost shows guys the lane when he's defending. <laughs> he's like, yeah, you guys just go on through there. I, I don't I don't I don't feel like stopping you. But uh, anyway, on on the thirteen on, minutes, zero of one from the field, three fouls. <laughs> there you go. There he did have that one assist. Uh, oh man, and Utah though, I mean, they they won that game one just because Bojan Bogdanovic and Donovan Mitchell combined for. 58 points and they both they both just went off and that was that was the difference in the end they won it by six points but then the the game two they just they just couldn't deal with what what Dallas was throwing at them and now I'd say they're going back to Utah now if they lose this game game three this Jazz team are done I don't care this Jazz team 
Is it it's a mentality thing? Is it a coaching change that's happened? Does the does the roster need to change? Roster, it's roster. Yeah, it's not not that, coach. Quinn Snyder's been fantastic. Yeah. I, I hate situations like this where coaches get blamed for it. Yeah, like some something is gonna have to change. Big. There's gonna have to be a bit of a, a, a blow up of this of this uh, of this roster because if they're 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 losing a road game, whatever, Luca, they, there's something not right within the mentality of this team. Yeah, and you know this is this. Is, Really interesting to see the DNPs here. In the playoffs, the rotation needs to really crunch up for sure. But, I mean, do you need to play Whiteside 11 minutes? Do you, do you need to play Gobert 37 minutes? Maybe, you know, th- these guys are excellent in situations where where you're going to play big. But you got to match Dallas. Is, is, is Pascal really unplayable? Is Rudy Gobert like a or Rudy Gobert? Rudy Gay, like who we thought I thought was going to be a really solid signing for this team, is is he unplayable? Dude, hell, even even Jared Butler from Baylor, your first your uh, was he your first round pick? Yeah, he's their first round pick. Was he your second round pick? He's he, he you're, he's your rookie, and, he, and he's a guy who's a who's a veteran college player. He's not a young player. Hey, did can he earn some minutes? I I, I don't know. There's, there's so many questions here, but. You know there are there are pieces there that maybe they should be playing smaller because they've got to do something, and it's got to start with the roster. It's not going to be on Quinn Snyder. I think that would be the wrong move, you know, to change things from the coaching standpoint. Because the point is is that this is a team that in the regular season is going to succeed for the reasons we talked about, but in the playoffs, really just getting exposed by these obvious holes on both ends of the floor. Yeah. No, it's 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 uh it's kind of a, it's gonna, it's gonna be a sad ending for for what this Utah team has been if, if it ends up being a series loss here and then uh, some big changes in the summer. I think I, I think Rudy Gay should definitely get get some minutes tonight. I think he could be he could be an important player still in in what's left of the series. Of course, it's still still only one all, still everything to play for for both teams. Dallas are still going there without Luca. He's expected back for Game Four, so. Still out to play for, but uh, I think uh, both of us are thinking it's not not looking too good from uh, yeah. for Utah yeah. so far. Like, yeah, I mean, I got I got to say that in big picture, and this is a good transition here. That you know, the Jazz have to look themselves in the mirror, and you know, you know, find find that identity that made them the best team in basketball last year, best team in basketball throughout the, the course of the season. Now things didn't work in the playoffs. You know, you got you got played out, and Quinn Snyder needs to get back to the boards. But like, just as a team, you know, they don't feel together. They don't feel together right now because look, the Suns, they won't have Devin Booker for what, three weeks now? Maybe four? That's devastating for the Suns. And that's an opportunity for either the Mavericks or the Jazz. And the Jazz have to like really just buckle down and think about who they are as a team. And this is their last rodeo. And, you know, the way that Mitchell's playing too, it just just feels like it's checked out. So it's got to be a gut check. But what's your prediction if so? Doncic doesn't come back. Say say that say the Jazz take this game. Two one. Doncic comes back the next game. Do they still win? Utah. The 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 Mass. Oh, so I think Mavs we, I think you predicted. I'm thinking yeah. Luca 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 returns. I they think. don't lose a game. Oh yeah, I think it's four four two four two Mass. Yeah, I don't think they lose a game. It, the, the second Doncic comes back, they don't lose a game. I don't yeah. think. Um, and that, that brings us to the Suns Palace. 
man, what a fun series. But obviously tough for Booker, who was about to go off for like 70 points, dude. Like he was just unstoppable in game two, hitting absolutely everything, everything. Yeah. Even he was he was in threes. He was he was fist bumping babies like he was just going <laughs> crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, terrible loss for them to, to lose him for about four weeks. But, um, you know, Suns and Suns and Cam Johnson stepped up. Kale Bridges steps up. Not enough, though, against a Pelicans team that, you know, this isn't just a moral victory, a, a cute little win. Like, this team is legit. Everyone's got to pay attention. Yeah, yeah. No, it's been it's been really impressive. I think uh, CJ McCollum, the addition of CJ McCollum is just so, so huge for this uh, for this Pelicans team. He's such a difference maker for the team. He, he brings that experience. He brings that that steadiness to this to this uh, Pelicans team that they haven't had, and that's been emphasized by everything that's gone on with with Zion Williamson. But he was so impressive in that in that game too. The 20, 23, 8 and nine, he was the steadier, and then Ingram was just a star. Thirty seven, eleven and nine, thirteen to twenty one, three or three from uh, from deep. The guy just looked unbelievable. He was in a zone. And if that can continue, no Devin Booker. I think there's it's not it's not crazy heading back to New Orleans now. It is not crazy to see to think that it could be another split pair of games in New Orleans, and we could really have a series on our hands. Yep, Smoothie King Center, right? Smoothie King Center. That's yeah, what it yeah, is, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. That's your favorite favorite arena name. <laughs> but. How about the rookies, man? We talk about coaches really demonstrating the changes they've had on this on their teams. Willie Green, you you got you give Udoka credit in Boston. Give credit, same credit to Willie Green in his first year coaching, dude. He's really maximized this young squad. Herb Jones, yeah, this guy. And if 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 you people out there have not seen Herb Jones. Like there's a great uh, thinking basketball episode on YouTube actually that really covers well his his defensive abilities. This guy's unreal, unreal at at six five six six at a long wing seven foot wingspan. His hips are just so snappy. He defends every single position on the court. You know he's he's not defending the paint like a big guy, but he'll switch onto every guard, and he's taking those assignments all year long, and he's made Booker uncomfortable at times. He's definitely been able to to neutralize Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges when he's on them and I, I think he's he's really a key for this team long term as he's demonstrated he's got that stroke from three he's a good three-point shooter and I I really think that guys like him guys like Trey, Mur- Trey Murphy the three-point shooting he's had at the end of the season with Alvarado just his like Caruso like energy honestly like he, he just has this this defensive mentality, rushing all over the court, taking charges, does all the little things. Najee Marshall being just a smart, uh, intelligent, crafty scorer. Like they've really embraced identities. And to see, you know, you don't get to see that a lot with rookies. You see a lot of flashes, you see here and there. And, you know, they seem out of place sometimes, not knowing what to do. But, you know, you got to credit coaching in a way that these young guys have defined roles and they know what they're doing when they get on the court there's there's not a lot of confusion and you know young guys are gonna have their lapses here and there but they've really demonstrated consistency at at times honestly a veteran level especially herb jones i mean he is an older rookie but 
it's really impressive to see Willie Green maximize the guys like that. And then you look at some of the other guys like Jackson Hayes, uh, just a castaway. Like what, what has he done in the past few seasons ever since he got drafted same year as Zion? Just he's been inconsistent, inefficient, not great on the boards. And it's so cool to see Willie Green put him in this position where, you know, maybe he's not stretching the floor at all. Maybe he's not shooting. But to use him at the wing at times as just like a lob weapon and just to allow him to have the spacing to almost like play like a Giannis in a way where you just give him the ball and he just goes and he has a runway. And that's just something that he hasn't had the opportunity to do. Too many times he's been used just in the post or, you know, pick and roll he's, he's been solid at. But to give him an opportunity to have the ball in his hands and do something like that has been fascinating. And to see him, Willie Green also use Larry Nance in the way he's supposed to as a playmaker as a switchable defender, as a shooter, as a guy who can really play make from the uh, from the high post, it's it's telling that the Pelicans really got their guy in Willie Green, who's able to utilize guys with their best strengths in mind, and that gives me the most confidence that they can pull off an upset. This isn't just like random occurrence of all these guys randomly doing well and and some guys having a crazy game here and there. You know, talk with CJ and Ingram, maybe these guys are synergizing perfectly, but I think they have the know-how and they have the personnel. They know their identities to figure this out against a team who, you know, they're, they're no joke. I mean, the Suns, yeah, they lose Booker, but they're still, they're going to still feel like the best team in the NBA. So I mean, it's still going to be a dogfight this entire series, but the Pelicans are not going to make this easy for them. No, not at all. We saw that as well in game one. I mean, the, the Suns only pulled out game one because uh, CP3 obviously had that 19-point fourth quarter and just he <laughs> oh was my just God, unbelievable. Yeah. Clinical. 37-10. and 10, uh, It was just absolutely awesome. I think obviously it could be important. Is, is Scott Foster referring any more games in this series? And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Undefeated. Oh, my God. <laughs> it, it gets funnier every single time you see it. Every single time, what is it? Twenty-one and zero, nineteen and zero. I forget. Like he's well, undefeated he's on, against Chris Paul. Fourteen in playoff games. CP three when uh okay when, fourteen uh, when when, <laughs> when when Scott Foster is uh is is refereeing, which is 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 unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, and yeah, it's gonna come down to that for the Suns. Um, without books, gravity. I mean, just look at the numbers. The Suns are a one sixteen point eight offensive rating with him. 109.7 without a smidge worse defensively too. I mean, books, books been a really good on ball defender, really good on the switch too. Without his gravity his efficient scoring. I mean, the shooting numbers go down across the board and they're really going to need cam bridges, Aiden to step up. Shaman and Payne needs to, to step up too. I mean, they, they've had their moments, especially Payne across the season and last year. No, Payne's not had that same production as last year. And you know, they've, they've got to find a way to be productive while book is out. And, you know, Chris Paul on the team with the central coach of the year on the team, you, you hope they do it. But this will this be a really fun series. You know, th- this is the series that everyone was like, all right, this is, this is an easy one. Just like just like the Raptors 76ers. All right. Suns, Pelicans. Pelicans got their uh, their cute little their playing win. And then now they, they've been playing competitive. And now book is out. That's the X factor. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. This is going to be a series. It ain't going to be. Ain't going to be easy for Phoenix. This is going to be a tester to see where they are at mentally and just how just just how good they are because the Pelicans are gonna are gonna give it everything and really make this a dogfight. Yep. The finals, the final matchup in the West that we got to talk about 
isn't so much of a dogfight. It's just the Golden State Warriors kind of reminding everyone uh, just how good they are and that they need to be considered as, as a serious challenger this season. Dude. <laughs> how we, we thought Poole would be maybe an MIP candidate this year, but we talked about his numbers in uh, the playoff preview. You know, we thought, you know, they go down when Curry returns, but Curry, he's allowed Poole to start first few games. This the is man a new, that is a new genius maneuver. Chris uh, Curry this... coming off the bench. Yeah. <laughs> this feels like a two K move. That's not fair. You can't be have Steph Curry coming off the bench. That's just not. That's not even fair. But let, let me give you some uh, some fun some fun mathing. You already said math isn't real. This this can't be real math. But in the very 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 small sample size that we have of, of Poole, Thompson, Curry, Green, and Wiggins, that's a lineup. When they've been together, <laughs> I'm cracking up. Let's say they have an offensive rating of 204.3 <laughs> and a defensive rating, hold up, of 75. <laughs> That's a net rating of 100 and what, 20, 25 and change, 100, almost 130. <laughs> not bad. That's, that's not bad. So, obviously, some regression to be had there. But they've seen some serious potential here, albeit against a reeling Nuggets team. You know, I don't even know what there is to talk about the Nuggets. They're just out, completely outmatched here. But Green is playing the best defense we've seen from him, and he's doing it against the reigning MVP. And Jokic is still putting up numbers, but he's not doing it efficiently. Mm-hmm. And Green is really giving him trouble in the post. And it, you just love to see – you know, we always talk about Draymond Green as, like, this really smart player. Yes, he is, absolutely. And – you know, it's not just about the intangibles. It's about the physicals, too. I mean, this dude is, albeit only 6'7", that long seven-foot-plus reach of his arms. Like, it really bothers Jokic. Jokic isn't able to physically displace Draymond in the way that he can other guys. And for Draymond to do this, it, like, th- this honestly tells me that I still think Draymond Green is the best defender in the NBA. Absolutely. Because you know there there's no player and the reason i say this there's no player that you could put on let's say devin booker jason tatum and nikola jokic there's zero players in the nba could do something like that and draymond green he can do that there's nobody in the league that can do that he draymond green is literally the the most amorphous defender i think the league might have ever seen ever it's it's insane to see what what he's doing, and you know, <laughs> we could talk all day about about the shooting. But Jordan Poole just looks like he's turned the corner. This isn't this isn't a fluke. Like he really came on at the end of the season. Numbers all skyrocketing with Curry being out, and now giving that being given the opportunity in the playoffs, it's it's just more of the same thing. So you know, we're trying to focus what's happening on the floor. I, I you know, I think it's pretty obvious. Like it's the the Warriors are doing exactly what they want to do every time. They're getting into their their actions off ball. Thompson's clicking, Curry's clicking, Poole's clicking. Everything's easy for them right now. And I, I think the more important narrative here is: Are the Warriors now reclaiming their status as the favorite to win the championship this year? When you're looking at the performances across the league, is this a reclamation of the narrative at the beginning of the season that? When the Warriors came on, 
and they came on strong. And they kept going before Draymond's injury, before Curry's slump. We really thought of them as like, wow, they're back. And now they're back, and they're back with Thompson. And they're back with the pool that is just another player entirely. Is this the team to beat in the league? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they're there yet. I think, don't get me wrong, they're looking, they're looking unbelievable. But I will say, I think maybe we were expecting too much out of this Nuggets team going into this series, which makes it look a little bit, uh, a little bit more impressive from from the Warriors. But I mean, not only do we have the Splash Bros back, but it looks like they've recruited a new member. I mean, uh, game one, he has thirty points pool, got nine to thirteen, five to seven from three. Clay's got 19 points, goes 5 of 10. Curry coming off the bench has 16, 3, 3 of 6. Then go to game two, another 20-point uh, win for the Warriors. Poole goes off, 29 points, 5 boards, 8 assists, 2 steals, a block. He goes 10 of 16 from the field, 5 of 10 from 3. Clay's got 21. And then Curry, in under 23 minutes, has 34, 3, and 4, 12 to 17, 5 to 10 yeah. from 3. I mean, I guess we were expecting a bit too much from, from uh, Jokic and the Nuggets. It's it's more so just that they they've got enough. Green back and doing a job on them, and the guy, the, the, the role players of Denver just aren't haven't been able to step up when when they really needed it. Jokic is obviously struggling a bit, and he, and the worst part is he hasn't been able to hit a three yet. Not yeah. not a prolific part of his game, but it's you'd expect him to be able to hit it's, a couple. It, it's a huge. I mean, honestly, I, I think it's a huge part of his game. He's not like the the most volume shooter. Like on, on the year, he's been an efficient three point scorer, and I think that's just that that's something that he adds to his arsenal. That you know you have to. He's a guy that you you want to give him a little bit of space just so that you can stay in front of him and predict his movements and defend the passing lanes. But when you give him an inch of space, when he hits that three, it's, it's over. But it's so interesting that he's been so bad against the Warriors this year from three. Documented four, he's shooting 22% from three across the year. And it, that, that poor shooting is continuing here. And it's because Draymond Green, he has the physicality. He has the agility. He has the wingspan to challenge every shot he's got. And... We're going to talk about pool. We're going to talk about Curry. talk about all the scoring. But, I mean, this whole – this series, to me, it's it's more of a – you know, this is Draymond Green really putting his stake on defense and bringing this team to maybe another rank. I mean, if he keeps playing like this defensively and, you know, the playmaking is there, they're going to continue to score. But with that defense, man, that's – and then you have Gary Payton Jr. just like a hellhound, just releasing him off the bench and just causing havoc everywhere. To be honest, Jokic's ass and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> just sly, sly. Uh, that, that was it. Like, Jokic wanted to kick his ass. I, I don't know what that was all about, but uh, yeah, you gotta wonder the intentions there. Is that like a sarcastic, like good job, or like uh, I don't know? But where uh, <laughs> <laughs> was Jokic? Did not like that but uh i can't say that with michael porter jr and with jamal murray i'd be like yeah it's be an even series now i i think warriors are still like heavily heavily favored the way they're playing i mean let's just leave it put it like this uh steph curry obviously he's only come off the bench in the first two games he's played just under 45 minutes steph curry hasn't even played a combined <laughs> total of a full game yet 
and Warriors are already looking like Wait, you thinking in Tibbs minutes like a full game for you is 48 <laughs> minutes no this is 40, that's 45 minutes in two games come on man I'm thinking at least at least he would have played 30 minutes Tibbs would have played him 48 minutes in the first game <laughs> that's true that's true but I mean the way that, that that the Warriors are looking I think they're gonna have it all but wrapped up tonight I see them I see them taking the game tonight and I think yeah it's It'll be comfortable for them. Maybe the Nuggets might be able to steal one no. on their home floor, but I think it's going to be a maximum of a five-game series here. The Warriors are are vibing, man, and it's it's not they're, they're a team too that have just been waiting for this moment too to just get back to the playoffs and really make it known. And they're not holding back. They're, they're not a team that's going to hold back. And um, who they looking I think, for ahead now? Who who they who they so, face next? Uh, this will this will be fascinating i still got my money on the grizzlies i think it's going to be a tight series between them and and the uh wolves but the grizzlies and warriors have been such a good matchup the past couple of years that's gonna to, to see the 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 grizzlies go up against the warriors i think might be might be my favorite matchup of the i, I don't care who's gonna end up going onto the championship that that might be my favorite series this whole season like they, they've been just absolute dog fights when they play each other and the the grizzlies just lit there's something about when they play the warriors there's some vendetta there 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 is some something about they they don't they don't like the you know like the the pretty beautiful game type of three-point shooting play of the warriors and they just live off of just like disrupting that they're just disruptors and both those teams just like we've said before they live in the chaos and they love it but um, you give me like a, you give me a, you give me an LA Boston of the '80s vibe there, you know. Oh, <laughs> I, I love it. I, I'm gonna love this. But uh, I want to close on this because I, I think this is a really cool way of seeing it. That the Warriors, who have been in a bit of a flux, have had questions about what they should have done last offseason. Should they have traded the young guys, cashing for a star? Was trading away D'Lo a mistake? Andrew Wiggins, what is he doing here? You've proved a lot of things right this season. And Poole, I think, is a big representation of that, that they've invested in their youth, and it's paying off in him. And it's not going to be just – I mean, it's him this year, but let's wait for next year. What what development do we get from Kuminga? Andre Iguodala is going to be there forever, and I, I feel like Kuminga honestly feels like, for me, a, a eventual replacement for um, – Kuminga is a replacement for Iguodala. And Wiseman, is he finally going to get healthy? Is he going to figure things out? Moody, I think, is going to be a staple there for years. I think, you know, he's not going to be a star, but for his his 3 and D, for him to replace Wiggins in the future. I think it's fascinating to see how they've bridged the future perfectly here. And KOC made this uh, this analogy, and I think it's actually a pretty interesting one. You know, Poole emerging right now in the playoffs feels kind of how Kawhi Leonard emerged in San Antonio. Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, and um, Duncan aging, but Kawhi Leonard lengthens their window by becoming a, a go-to scorer, becoming their primary defender. And Poole evolving into a go-to scorer is going to be huge for this team. You know, he's no Kevin Durant. That, guy, that guy's pretty good. But the way that he's been scoring off the bounce, the way that he's been replicating. And I mean, it's, it's so similar. I mean, he, he's talked about how he studies Steph Curry's game and obviously to, to have him mentored there for years. 
it's fantastic to see him mimic Steph Curry's game and do it well. I mean, he's an amazing off-ball shooter. The way he really sets his feet well, like he's just naturally born to play in the same way that Steph Curry plays. And it's 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 a beautiful thing to watch. And I I think I I pose the question to you. You're not sure if you're ready to say it, but I am. I am the quintessential Memphis Grizzlies apologist. I I believe in this team through and through. But I watch this Warriors team. I I think the Grizzlies will definitely give them a fight defensively with, with their energy. But the way that the Warriors are are doing this, maybe it's just against the Nuggets, but they've figured out their identity, which they've known all along. And as a two-way team, you know, they're they're no slouch on defense, that they've been up there for a reason. I think they've reclaimed their status as maybe the favorite. Yeah, maybe, maybe. One thing I'll say on that, not not on the not on the favorites, but on what you were saying about the way they've built up the franchise, it's just to respect to Golden State, the way the the franchise is run, and of course they have an elite elite level coach in uh, <coughs> in, in Steve Kerr, which is always going to bring that little bit of extra advantage to uh, to any team. Uh, I won't, I won't, I won't argue against it, but I won't say that I'm ready to to jump right all the way back on the the bandwagon for for Golden State. But one thing, uh, one bit of news I will give you was just confirmed that Chris Middleton is out for the series. So that's one one bit of news that might uh, might make uh, might make you feel a little extra yeah, I, more confident. I, I did I did see it. Um, <laughs> we're gonna backtrack here. All right, let's end on a good note. Let's do it. Let's do it because, because let me put it this way. And someone asked me this today is, do I, do I believe yet? Because they're like, oh, you're one, one. Do you believe yet? And all right. Do I believe that DeMar DeRozan's going to keep dropping 40 bombs like in Giannis's face every single game? No, but I believe this defense has figured out Giannis. I believe they forced others to make shots. And I think I believe that with the way that they're playing defense and the way that the Bucks have shrunk a little bit, that they have a chance. And I think Levine hasn't even gotten into his stride yet. And the other guy, Patrick Williams, is still just getting adjusted. If, if he gets a little bit more production, he looked a little bit more comfortable in game two. And he's a guy that all he has to do is be confident. That's it. That's it. Once he gets that mentality, you saw what he did against the Wolves. Bulls in seven. But no Chris Middleton. I don't believe Drew Holiday with the increased attention without Chris Middleton out there. You double the defense on him. I, I don't, do I think Pat Connaughton's all of a sudden going to start draining threes? Do I think Grayson Allen's going to survive the environment of, of the Madhouse on Madison? Absolutely not. I think the, the UC is going to be absolutely crazy. And I think that the Bucks are going to have to rely on the other guys and what happened when they had to do that in the past with no Chris Middleton. I think Giannis, is going to have to go supernova unless he starts hitting his jumpers. I think Bulls have a chance to do this in seven. Big call. And one thing I'll say on that is, if that does happen, I'm back in Boston to go all the way to the finals this year. <laughs> Boston are coming out of these. If the books go down, I'm I'm 100. percent I'm pretty this, confident in Boston anyway. But if the books go down, I'm back in back in Boston 100. This this does feel place. this does feel like it's it's leaning towards an absolutely epic Miami Heat, Boston Celtics, Eastern Conference Finals. Like one for the books, one for the ages. 
that that would be an insane matchup and you know I, I won't be I won't be disappointed by that you know if, if the Bulls make it to, to Boston man, that's gonna be a fun series too you know both Bulls and Boston they've really they've split the series this season obviously Bulls are a different team second half of the season just like the Celtics were but the Bulls have rediscovered themselves here you know it's it's a playoffs zero zero we'll see that's what the Lakers said so <laughs> we just have to win 27 games in a row and we'll be fine everything's fine Russell Westbrook will fit on this team why'd you have to mention the Lakers man I'm sorry we, we I'm made sorry. it we you made it we just crushed almost two hours of pot we oh, oh man you broke you broke the rule we're gonna have to get a coin jar not a swear jar <laughs> Every every time you bring up the Lakers, from from now on until the lottery. Oh wait, they're not even in the lottery because they don't have their pick. All right, you're making me go down. All right, guys, everybody, thank you for joining us. This has been such a fun pod because this is such a fun period of the year. Um, hopefully, it wasn't too much uh, too much to swallow in one podcast. But uh, we're gonna be uh, hopefully doing a Celtics roundtable next week to either discuss the intimidating presence of Ben Simmons or a Celtics sweep. Who knows? But at any rate, guys, thanks for joining us as always. Always happy to bring this content. Remember to, to subscribe. Remember to comment. Send us some suggestions. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, everything. We love y'all. And we'll talk to y'all later. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Coast to Coast. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.